me in particular, I think getting into private practice wasn't as bad as what I was building it up to be in my head. Really, you do come out with the skills, both communication and clinical, to be able to manage pretty much any patient scenario. And if there's anything that you aren't able to you know, manage, you have somebody there, hopefully more senior, to be able to help you through it. Welcome back to the Dental Head Start Podcast. My name's Erica, and in today's feature interview, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down to chat with Dr. Anthony Yamin and Dr. Yasmin Sami. Now, you've heard us say it a million times, at Dental Head Start, we're all about helping dental students become great graduates. And over the years, David has interviewed a whole bunch of really successful dentists and getting to hear their journeys and what led them to where they are today. But I really wanted to turn the tables a little bit and hear it from the perspective of new grads who are in their first few years out but doing brilliant things. And I couldn't think of anyone better than Anthony and Yasmin. Now, the names Anthony and Yasmin might not be too unfamiliar with some people. Anthony and Yasmin were the 2020 President and Secretary of of the Sydney University Dental Association, SUDA, and they're also now currently a part of ADA NSW's recent graduate and advocacy committee. And so right from the get-go, they've already been doing amazing things. In this conversation, we talk about their upbringing and what led them to dentistry and gave them this go-getter attitude where they're all about putting themselves out there, giving things 100% and making the most of every opportunity. And a recurring theme that we just kept coming across time and time again throughout this conversation was this idea of fostering and nurturing an environment that's supportive and encouraging and motivating and it's something that they did all throughout dental school and they're still doing today and that's something that obviously at Dental Head Start we're all about as well. So we talk about their time in dental school, their involvement with the student committee and their fresh perspective on the transition from being dental students and becoming dentists working in private practice, specifically working rurally and how they coped with that transition and built their own support network, which they really stress the importance of. We, of course, talk about mentorship and differing mentorship styles and how the job hunting process was for them, especially as a couple, which was quite unique to them. And a part of the conversation that I really enjoyed was finding that balance between having confidence as a new grad, but also understanding your limitations and knowing how to manage those situations and tactfully ask for help when you need it and that it is perfectly okay to need help. I think Anthony and Yasmin have such valuable insight to share on the matter and this was honestly such a heartwarming conversation. The both of them are so full of you know, words of encouragement and motivation and I thought this was such a nice way to wrap up the year. So I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I had fun recording it. What are you focusing on this year? What are the CPD topics, the disciplines that you really want to get better at? And how do you find all the information out there on those topics? cpdjunkie.com.au is made to be a comprehensive directory of CPD in Australia and New Zealand. We created this because we found this frustrating. And now there is a system where you can be alerted if there's topics that come up that you are interested in. Make an account at cpdjunkie.com.au and update your alert settings. Every month on the 20th, we send an email sending you the information specific that you want to know about. Interested in communication, aesthetics and orthodontics? Same. Update your alert settings now. Take your CPD to the next level with cpdjunkie.com.au. 
Anthony and Yasmin, welcome to the show. Hi, Erica. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us. (laughs) It's great to be here. I'm excited to finally get to have this conversation with you because it's something I've been looking forward to for a while. This is a pretty special episode because um, not only is it our first time interviewing new grads, but it's our first time interviewing a dental couple. So that's something exciting for our for our listeners. Um, I think anyone who's been a UCID grad or like UCID student in the last five years is pretty familiar with the names of like, you know, Anthony and Yasmin. But I guess for all our other listeners who don't know who you guys are, do you want to introduce perhaps like yourselves and like how you met? Yeah, for sure. Look, it's a great question and it depends how much time we have, but it goes all the way back to 2017 when Yasmin and I were starting off our DMD1 journey at at Sydney. And we sort of crossed paths a few times over the first couple of weeks, but we hadn't had any in-depth conversations or anything like that. Fortunately, within the first, I think, two or three months, we were both elected as the year representatives for the first-year class. And I remember sending a text to Yasmin saying, you know, congratulations, I'm really excited to work with you. And... Yeah, it's been such an exciting partnership since since all the way in March 2017. Yeah. And then the rest is history. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, we just started working together, got to know each other really, really well. And yeah, as you said, the rest is history. So right off the bat, you guys were like working together as a year rep. So you guys were year reps in first year. And then did that carry through second, third? And then obviously in fourth year, you guys were president and was a secretary. So we both started our journey in first year as year representatives, second year again as year representatives. And then Anthony went down the path of vice president. I went down the path of vice secretary. And then we both, you know, picked up our respective roles in fourth year as president and secretary. But we always joke about it that, you know, I think we were all incredibly lucky to have sort of the two of us in combination with uh, Zill, who was the treasurer and vice treasurer at the time, that we all essentially acted as equal in, um, in our terms. So every decision that was made, we would run by each other we would get together daily and discuss everything. So in a way, there were three presidents running Suda by the time we were in fourth year. So we were very, very, very lucky to have such a strong team. Absolutely. And I feel like this is a common trend with, the, you know, guys working together, you know, really having a strong bond and like, you know, having a greater purpose and really looking after everyone and all the UCID students like throughout your time. I feel like there's a lot to unpack about Dent School and Suda, and I really want to get into all of that. But let's backtrack it all the way right back to the beginning of, I guess, your upbringing. And I mean, how did we get to where we are today in terms of like, you know, did you guys always want to do dentistry? Like, you know, how did your upbringings shape who you are today? And perhaps we can start off with you, Yasmin. Of course. Yeah. So um, you can probably tell from my accent, but I'm from Canada, uh, born and raised in Toronto. And I think I knew from a really early age I wanted to do dentistry, but mostly because I actually had a number of women in my family who were in the dental profession. Um, My aunt, who's very close with me, is a dental hygienist. One of my cousins is a dentist and another cousin is also a specialist. She's an endodontist. Um, So I think that while I was growing up, it was very normal to be kind of looked after at the dental clinic if my mom needed to pick me up after school or things like that. And so when it came time to actually decide what I wanted to do, I think it just came easy to me. I said, I have all these wonderful women to look up to. They all love their jobs. They're all, you know, they're all happy with what they're doing. And I felt very comfortable in that dental environment. And also kind of at the time I was going through braces as you know people do. And I loved my orthodontist. So that really was kind of the cherry on top of the cake. And that's why I chose to do dentistry. 
So it was a bit of a no-brainer for you, huh? Yeah, I didn't really think about it. And I really love how you said, I guess, background support of these strong women as well. And clearly that was like an influencer in that you getting to see that. Are they still role models for you to today? Yeah, that's actually a really good question because it's been so different, you know, traveling through life, of course, as their little cousin or, you know, niece, and then eventually going through dental school and now being a colleague. And I do ask them questions and I do send them cases and things like that. And it's, oh, it's, it's been the best. Yes, they are so wonderful. And it's great to have just generally, you know, I'm lucky that they're in my family, but people in your corner who are willing to help and guide you through everything. So it's been really, really, really wonderful for me. It's been a good experience. Yeah, coming from (laughs) no background in dentistry to this. That's amazing. How about you, Anthony? What was your upbringing like and your experience with dentistry before getting into dent school? Yeah, look, it's, it's actually quite different to Yasmin's. And I understand that a lot of people we went through with had you know, family influences, but mine was quite the opposite. So I was born in Sydney. My parents were both migrants from Lebanon who came in the 80s. And, you know, they place a lot of emphasis on education growing up. And when I was sort of mid-high school, my dad actually took over a pizza shop. Now he took over this pizza shop and lots of lots of people at Sydney know about this pizza shop because at one point or another they've been there or had some free pizza. But My dad was able to see my brother and I who were working there and sort of flourish in that environment. Now, we were only sort of 14 or 15 at the time, but we were, in in a way, we were holding our own. We were interacting with with customers. I should say not patients, customers. We (laughs) We were developing this confidence and this sense of ability to run this business at such a young age, more so than a lot of the other people who were working there, much older than we were. And it was around sort of that time I was deciding what I wanted to do. And, you know, I was a bit of a maths whiz growing up. So I was thinking about engineering. But when my dad saw me working in the pizza shop that I was quite, you know, okay with my hands and I was quite calm under pressure and had all these qualities that he attributed to basically someone being in healthcare. Now, it was always his dream to be a dentist, but because he came over from a war-torn country, he didn't get that opportunity. And that was sort of the spark that I had. And I just basically took it and ran. And, you know, I sort of everything that I did in my life after that m- led me towards dentistry. I would, every time I would do a science subject and do well, it sort of reinforced that idea that dentistry is, is for me. And, you know, it's been such a great journey. And, you know, my dad is super, super happy now that we've got someone in the family who's a dentist sort of living the dream that he wanted to to have if he if he got his chance so it's been really great I'm sure he's so proud that's such a nice story do you think I guess working in the pizza shop you would have developed a lot of skills from there like you know from interacting with not the patients the customers (laughs) um, but also you know flipping pizzas and working with your hands do you see a lot of parallels between that and dentistry yeah it's a good question and you know I think you know the hand-eye coordination required for dentistry is something that most people learn in their first couple of years of dentistry because it's so precise and, you know, working on the typodont and working on those models in the sim clinic, everyone's sort of not not great at first. So those sort of micro skills I didn't have, but at a, at a larger level, I, was, I had really good hand-eye coordination and in pizza, there's lots of sort of, you have to be perfect and, you know, the placement of the toppings. I'm getting very in detail here about pizza toppings, but... <laughs> You know, we do everything with such intention and purpose and, you know, those sort of larger scale skills are definitely applied to dentistry for sure. I guess you were talking about like the hand-eye coordination aspect of it. What about the people skills? Yeah, look, I I learned so many things from being in the pizza shop. As I said, I was only sort of 14 when I started. I was very shy 
and I still am a bit of an introvert. So I would often just stand there making pizzas, not really doing a lot of interacting. But as the years went on and you started to build relationships with a lot of returning customers, and even to this day, when I go back to the pizza shop to visit my dad, there are customers there who recognize me and I recognize them and ask them, you know, how their, how their kids are doing, how the family is doing. And you're able to sort of maintain that relationship. And, you know, on the flip side to that, you know, it's great to deal with complaints. And, you know, many, many times I'm sure people have always said, you know, where, where's my pizza? The delivery is late. I've been on the receiving end of a lot of those calls or when you put mushrooms on a pizza that shouldn't be there, you know, in person and the patient, the customer comes back with the pizza box, you know. So we've been in many, many awkward scenarios and, and scenarios where you have to sort of um, handle it very well and very sensitively um, because, you know, the pay, the customer's always right. I feel like I'm going to say patient all the whole night. Here. <laughs> um, so I learned a lot of soft skills in the pizza shop and has definitely translated um, over to dentistry for sure. Yeah, and I really love that. And that's kind of why I, I kind of saw it there and I wanted to dig into it a little bit more because I guess I come from a bit of a similar background in that my parents run a grocery store. And so from the age of 11 or 12, I was helping them out. And I was also you know, very awkward and just standing behind the counter and just like, oh, I'm not really knowing how to interact with the customers, right? But then over the years, you develop that relationship with them. And like you said, it's about you know trying to do what's best for them, helping them find the right thing. And I feel like a lot of that translates into dentistry and us working with patients yeah no definitely I, I i think you 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 said that perfectly and i'm sure you had lots of people come and say to you you know i remember when you were this big and sitting <laughs> yeah. over there and you know so i love i love hearing things like that for sure so that was i guess like the upbringing part of it but you know now we're we've sat our exams or you know whatever it was and we're in dent school now right and well i'm in dent school right now but you guys have graduated but what was in hindsight what was what was your dent school experience like yeah i think I think it's it's so interesting to look back on it now being a new graduate. You know, we've been out of dental school for a bit of time, but we still have our ties to dental school through, you know, friends we've made who are still studying and soon to graduate, hopefully, um, and, you know, members of the Sydney Dental School and things like that. So I think when you're going through it, it is the hardest time of your life. You know, it is just so difficult and stressful and you're going through all these new experiences and trying to be the best that you can be for your patients while you're still learning and all of that. So I know at the time, for sure, there were ups and downs, you know, every single day and trying to balance both, you know, your clinical work and everything outside of that and extracurriculars was a lot. But now when I look back, I honestly only look back with fond memories. I can barely remember the the lows. (laughs) It's all really positive positive in my mind. Um, But it's very interesting when we think about the broad perspective and look back to where we were five years ago, you know, the day that I got on an airplane and moved to Australia. And I just can't believe that we've gone through so many experiences like that. Um, And it's crazy to think how far we've come. But yeah, dental school was wonderful, you know, had its ups and downs, but really, really good overall. I guess when you're going through it, it feels like it's the worst thing in the world, right? But when you look in hindsight, you're just like, wow, like even for me now in third gen, I look back and thinking of what I was like on day one, like you said, like with our dentaprax, right? Our drilling. And I guess we've grown a lot since then. How about you, Anthony? What are your reflections on dent school? Yeah, I think uh, what Yasmin said was, you know, really well pitched. But if I might actually just go right before um, dental school, I... um, and a lot of people know this, but I was actually waitlisted the first time I applied to dental school. And yeah, so I'm sure a lot of people know, but getting into Sydney 
is a very competitive uh, endeavor, you know, limited spots, particularly if you wanted to be on a Commonwealth supporter place. Um, so I was actually waitlisted the first time I got in and abs- I was absolutely devastated. And I said to myself at that moment, you know, you don't know how many opportunities you're going to get, but if I do get this opportunity, then I'm really going to make the most of it and I'm going to squeeze everything I can out of it. And that's exactly what we did. And I think Yasmin and I had the same sort of outlook, which is why we connected so well early on in the degree. So when, when I got accepted to dental school, I had the outlook of I'm going to do everything I can, which led us to all our extracurriculars, which led us to going above and beyond, meeting everyone, making connections, and ultimately led, led us to experiences like what we're doing now. So, you know, you and I worked closely together um, a few years ago, and, you know, that was something that I really wanted to do for the organization and for the university because I really wanted to give it my all. Mm-hmm. For like, you know, people who probably are unsure about what we're alluding to, but I guess in first year, that was when we first met Anthony and that was when you you would have been in third year at that point and vice president and you're looking at making a new logo for Suda. And so we collaborated on, you know, coming up with the new logo for that. But that was a really great experience. And I think for me, I was in first year at that point, but also with that same kind of outlook of, yeah, like I want to be here and not just breeze through the degree like we're so fortunate and so privileged to be have been given this position like why not make the most of it right? and get involved in whatever way and I remember how absolutely impressed I was with you and your your artistic ability and I remember opening up my phone one day and seeing the message from you and I just sort of was just stopped in my tracks and I was thinking to myself wow how can someone take an idea and put this onto paper and capture everything that we wanted to capture so I remember you were definitely one for us to look out for as you progress through the degree. Yes, honestly, Erica, you're talented. You were so, so talented. And we are honored, you know, to be able to have worked with you at some stage. Oh, you guys are so kind. I feel like for me, I've always like since first year, I've always looked up to you, like the both of you. And I still I have this very distinct memory with my friends and I in first year where we had research day back when research day was a thing in person because now it's online. Right. Um, but I distinctly remember research day and sitting with my friends, you know, we're keen first year students, like scared, not sure what to do. We're arriving on time. And then we see the doors open to the auditorium and just Anthony and Yasmin walking in with the audacity to walk in like 20 minutes late as well right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that but I remember I'm sure it was something something super important right but you both walked in with such confidence and then you sat down next to Dr. D right and I remember my friends and I just being like looking at you guys in awe We're like what is, who are this power couple like who are these oh, people and why God. are they why are they so cool <laughs> I hope that people also remember the times that were early and on time yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I say, I say with, I say it with all due respect. Um, yeah. But that was, <laughs> um, but I guess coming back to that kind of, yeah, I really liked what you brought up, Anthony, about how getting waitlisted that first time round gave you that drive of, oh, I really want to make the most of this opportunity, and then that carrying through throughout your degree. But you know, Yasmin, what are your thoughts, and what was your perspective and drive throughout dent school? 
Yeah, no, I feel very much the same. Uh, pretty much what Anthony says covers a lot of it. Um, I think another aspect of it was because I was an international student, I kind of recognized from early on that if I didn't put myself out there, I would probably feel very isolated throughout the degree. And I actually didn't know coming in that there were going to be so many Canadian students in our year at the very least. Uh, so I think that really did help kind of um, help us all along. We had some sort of piece of home that made it easier to kind of cope. But from data, I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm going into this degree. This is what I've wanted my entire life. So I'm going to leave no stone unturned. I'm going to put my entire self into the degree itself, everything I can do outside of it as well. And also trying to, you know, build a community of people and try to help others as well in building that community. Because, you know, if, if I feel comfortable meeting somebody new and making a connection there, maybe somebody else wouldn't. And if I could, you know, do my part in bringing other people together and making them feel comfortable and supported, then I would. And I think, you know, knowing that you're by yourself, there's no family, there's no nobody really here with you. It's um, what the road is kind of what you pave for yourself. And so I really did try to put all of myself into it and meet as many wonderful humans. And, you know, I'm very thankful for the people I have met um, and really try to contribute to the dental environment and um, Australia, if I could, um, to some degree. So yeah, same thing. I I really felt like I needed to put myself out there um, and do everything that I could. And I think that's something you guys both did really well in that, you know, there's however many, like what, like 400 students across the years and it changes every year with like, oh, the fourth years graduating and the new incoming first years coming in. But I remember being amazed at that. Like I'd walk past the two of you in the hallway and you would know every single student, like everybody's names. And you guys just made us feel so welcome. And just like, you'd always like, you know, if it, whether it be in the elevator or just in the hallway or in sim clinic, you'd say hi to us and you know who we were. And I know, and I feel like you guys really did I guess what you were set out to do and like fostering and creating that like really nurturing and community and I think especially when you guys took over as um, the secretary and president along with Zill and the whole Suda committee just making it feel like a unit and uh, like all of us are in it together and feeling supported um, so yeah kudos to you mm. guys for doing thank that. you thank you so much you felt that way. it's really such tried. a it's such a you know difficult program to get through and any dentist out there listening would know not just at Sydney but all the universities and we just wanted to make it a little bit easier and you know going through with someone there and telling you what to Mm -hmm. focus on and what not to focus on and whether you should wear scrubs to this event or whether you should wear Mm -hmm. smart casual those little things make such a big difference to your ability to rest and relax and enjoy the experience so we just wanted to you know create this environment where everyone has each other's backs and everyone's there to help each other. And, you know, it's actually amazing what you can do when you create such a community. Mm. We were fascinated by it. And we're really hoping that, you know, even though we're not there anymore, fingers are crossed that we helped light a fire in some people to really help that community continue growing and things like that, because it's not about one individual person or a pair, I guess. Um, but it's definitely that feeling of camaraderie and making sure that you're there for your fellow, you know, students and everyone in the, in the profession and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you balance all of these things, right? Like, I feel like for a lot of us, dent school is already tiring enough, you know, seeing patients the other day, catching up on lectures. But on top of that, you know, you guys are running Suda, you're socializing with everyone. And also, I remember having a conversation with you once, Yasmin, when we were in the elevator. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you, <laughs> one of those lovely, like, you know, just chance encounters. But you were telling me about how you were DAing as well, right? Um, how did you find time to do all of 
those things. <laughs> I actually, I, I know what Anthony's going to say because he says it really well. So I'll cover some other stuff, but um, mostly it, for us, we started first year doing these extra things. And so we actually never got to experience dental school without the pressure of additional responsibilities. And for me, and hopefully Anthony as well, I think having the support of a partner who was going through the same thing, but also carried the same values as far as what they wanted to do within university and within um, a student committee and things like that. I think we were able to come home and, you know, we both understood we had kind of a, a bigger role and responsibility um, rather than just coming home and relaxing and taking time for ourselves. And then, I mean, when you have a chance to think about your entire outlook on what you want to achieve during dental school, it made it easy for me to also kind of make the choice to sacrifice weekend time to assist because I thought that that was a really valuable learning experience. And now being a year out can confirm definitely was a great <laughs> experience. Um, but yeah, I think having uh, your your goals in mind and then having a good support system as well to help is wonderful. And um, Anthony, you probably will touch upon, you know, how we bounced meetings before, during, you know, after clinics and all of those mm. things as well. Yeah, look, well said. And I think it's such an interesting thing to look back on because nowadays we we don't have the same level of extracurricular stuff that we had at university. So we go to work, you know, we do a little bit of stuff on the side, but ultimately we get to relax at the end of the day and it's a bit surreal to look back on our experience at uni and think that, you know, we were able to do what we did because, as Yasmin said, we didn't know any different. And, you know, it was quite common for us to sort of have a meeting before our morning lectures, go to our lectures, then go to clinic at lunchtime, have another meeting, and then go to our afternoon clinic, having just downed our lunch on the way to the clinic. And then after that afternoon clinic, we would have another meeting or we'd go home and have a Zoom. So, our days were pretty jam-packed and I have to give a lot of credit to our teamwork um, because Yaz and I spent a lot of time together and we were able to, you know, get things done a lot more efficiently because we, were, we spent a lot of time together. We were around each other a lot and we haven't sort of seen that before and we were just in a very, very fortunate position to be able to do all that. But it was definitely unnatural and looking back on it, you know, I think it took a lot of you know, a lot of time to get into that routine. Like it's very hard for us to slip back into it now. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, you're really reaffirming what we all already knew about you guys being the ultimate power couple and really supporting each other and doing great things. Were there ever any points of, I guess, struggle or doubt or did you ever hit any ruts or like, you know, moments of burnout throughout all of this? Yeah, look, that's a great question. And there were so many, there were so many days and nights throughout the four years where we'd come home and we would just debrief and reflect on what was going on. And there were definitely some days where we struggled to get some things done when, you know, I think the most relatable example is probably during exam period because, Yasmin and I always made it a priority to be available for everyone and it was quite common for people to be messaging us all throughout the exam period and, you know, there comes comes a time when you have to put yourself first and focus on your studies. But, you know, we really struggled with that. So we we really did, you know, at those times, you know, had to sort of reach out to each other for support and, you know, there will be times when Yasmin will carry the slack and then there were other times when I would. But, by and large, you know, we we managed it pretty well, I would say, over the course of the degree. But there were definitely some nights when we were very unable to do things or we would have sleepless nights just trying to get 
things done that we promised we would get done. Would you agree with that, Yes? Yeah. And as much as we would love to talk or speak positively about, you know, all the things that we wanted to change and we're able to change and things like that, in any, you know, position of leadership or, you know, any regard um, when somebody is trying to make decisions for a greater group of people, you know, not everyone's going to agree. And I think that that was also tough sometimes to try to balance um, being, in these positions where we were giving the chance to make choices for the student organization and student body, but also remembering that we were friends with, you know, all of these people and where is that line and where do you cross that or do you cross that line and um, kind of setting boundaries and things like that. I know I emotionally found that a little bit challenging because you want to do the best for your friends and the people that you're surrounding yourself with. But if they don't always agree with the choices that are being made for, you know, the greater population, that's definitely difficult. Um, And yeah, burnout is a real thing, definitely a real thing. And I think that that's a whole conversation, you know, that we could talk about forever, but I think it boils down to making sure you uh, surround yourself with people and, you know, experiences that can elevate you and, you know, lift you out of maybe a difficult situation and also knowing when you should say no and cut back on certain things and not allow yourself to kind of fall into something that is a little bit more troublesome to, to get yourself out of long-term. Mm-mm, definitely. Um, yeah, I really like that. And I, I think there seems to be a common theme of just like, you know, working with people and fostering this community and having an important support network. I guess this then kind of ties into just, well, post-graduation then, right? And this is, I guess, more more directed at you, Yasmin, then. Um, this decision of should you stay here or should you go back home? And how did you kind of, you know, make that decision as you were graduating and deciding you know, do you want to stay here where you've really created this community versus going back home to like where all your family and loved ones are? Was this something that you had to really think about? Definitely. And it's still an ongoing, you know, conversation that you have with yourself, you have with your partner, your family and things like that. I think for us, you know, I guess the plan when I came to Australia wasn't necessarily to find my partner and, um, you know, stick around, but life changes and life happens. And I think the decision was made a little bit easier for me knowing that I have a supportive partner here with me um, and knowing that really the road can take us wherever. We're not necessarily tied down to one area or another. Um, And something that kind of helped our decision at the time when we were graduating is, of course, the world was kind of affected by COVID quite intensely at the time and still is. Um, But moving back to Canada at the time and starting work didn't seem like a real option because a lot of dentists weren't working back in Canada. So we decided, you know, in any case, we'd like to stick around in Australia for at least a bit of time and see again where the world takes us. But leaving the doors open because, you know, it's the two of us and against the world and, you know, the road can take us in any which way. And we could stay in Australia for, you know, the rest of our lives. We could explore Canada in the future and things like that. And really it's just trying to figure out what matters to you and and what you're willing to kind of compromise on or sacrifice because I'm very close with my family and it's a difficult conversation to have every day saying, you know, I might be here for a little bit longer than what we originally planned, but that's okay because I'm happy and I'm, you know, we're, we're going through all the things that life throws at us and it's, it's fine. Um, but it's also difficult, you know, when you're not there for special occasions and you're not there to watch your family, you know, grow up or grow old or your friends, special occasions and things like that. So I think it's a difficult, difficult thing, and every person will be different in that realm. But for us, we made the choice together. You know, we're going to stick around in Australia, we're going to work here, and then we'll see where things take us. Yeah, take it bit by bit, hey? 
Ripe Global is an incredible resource, especially in these times where travel is a little bit difficult, but we're also realizing it's not always necessary for our education. Especially when we're starting our career, we just want to get as much as we can. And a platform like Ripe Global's membership is perfect for that. But Ripe Global is a lot more than that. They've got the fellowship in restorative dentistry. And while it's already started with the posterior dentistry course, they've just released the anterior dentistry course, one where you're going to learn about composites, aesthetics, isolation, and indirect work as well. One of the hardest things to do in dentistry is a single front tooth. And this course is aimed at helping you improve that skill. Find out more at ripeglobal.com or check out the show notes and you can get 30% off a membership, all from the comfort of your own home. How was it, I guess, then transitioning from student into private practice? I remember one time seeing um, a post that you made, Anthony, where you were taking a photo of just like your appointment list. I remember laughing at it because you were breaking it down and how, oh, I think you saw like 10 or 15 patients that day and everything was in like 15 minute blocks. And I'm like, I've just done a super gingival scale and clean and it took me three hours to do it. Right? Like, <laughs> what on earth? Like, how is this happening? But how was that transition for the birth of you? Actually, maybe Yasmin. And you can you can delve into it about you know that transition from student into into private practice work as a dentist. Yeah, and I think it's also again very interesting for the individual person because even Anthony and I had different experiences, but you know ultimately positive. First and foremost, I just want to say trust the process. You know, you're going to come out of dental school competent. You know, it, it doesn't feel like it at the time, and I know that even with us when we left, I was you know a little bit. I don't know what the word is, nervous, I guess, you know, for the first day that I would see patients. Um, But some things that really do help are, you know, surrounding yourself with a good team and a good supportive boss and mentor and things like that. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later. And for me in particular, I think getting into private practice, it wasn't as bad as what I was building it up to be in my head. Really, you do come out with the skills, both communication and clinical to be able to manage pretty much any patient scenario. And if there's anything that you aren't able to, you know, manage, you have somebody there, hopefully more senior to be able to help you through it. So um, as far as just starting work, it, it was an easier transition than expected. As far as appointment times and things like that, honestly, again, trust in the process because there are so many little hurdles when you're in dental school, things that you have to get checked as you go along and you don't really have the autonomy over the appointment as you do when you're working by yourself. So things just generally do get faster and you'll figure out what appointment times work for you and how much time you want to spend with a patient on a certain procedure and things like that. Um, And something specifically about me, for example, I'm really interested in pediatric dentistry, but that's one of the clinics that was cut for us uh, during our COVID year. So I didn't really get much experience in that realm. So that's an area that when I first started, I was really nervous about because I really wanted to do well and I wanted to work really well with the kids. Um, But as far as the actual clinical experience went, I, you know, didn't really get much of it. So that was another, uh, I guess, opportunity for me to learn through other senior dentists in the practice and just surrounding yourself with good people to learn from or CPD courses and figuring out what your strengths and weaknesses are and building off of that to make the best experience for yourself as a new graduate. Yeah. Did you have a similar transition as well, Anthony? Um, Yeah, in parts, definitely. And I think every graduate goes through their own sort of transition and you know, for me, I remember finishing my last ever final year clinic and I it was a three-hour session and I did a one-and-a-half-hour crown cementation and a one-and-a-half-hour splint issue and I left the clinic thinking that I was the greatest and <laughs> I was so confident in my abilities coming out of dental school and 
little did I know that rarely do you have one and a half hour appointments in practice. And I didn't know how I was going to make up that time when I went into my job. And one of the things, and I think Yasmin touched on it really well, that worked in my favor was I went into a practice that had experience hiring new graduates. So I sort of let them take ownership of over my appointment book and my appointment times and my scope of practice at the beginning because they've done it before and we hadn't. So I let them take control and, you know, this wasn't their first rodeo. So they knew that a one hour filling appointment to start was totally reasonable and that a 45 minute checkup and clean appointment was reasonable. And we just went from there and I have, and I I had, and I still have to this day, a very, very close relationship with my practice manager and we had meetings at the end of each day and then at the end of each week and we would talk about the days and how to improve the appointment times and where to lengthen them, where to shorten them. And there were times when I was uncomfortable because I wanted to push myself to be at the appointment times that the practice was at. I thought that was a really good benchmark. And there were times when I thought that I wasn't going to get something done or there were times when you'd run late, but that's all part of the process. And I think being uncomfortable in practice is a necessary step to get to reach your full potential. So to this day, if I had three-hour appointments in practice, I would probably use it. But the reality is we don't. We only get that time set out by the practice and you find a way to make it work without diminishing your level of quality. And it's been such an interesting experience for sure. Mm-hmm. I guess something that you both like, you know, have have touched on, and it's definitely something I really want to to go into, is because a lot of people say that where you work, your first job after you graduate, really sets the trajectory of what kind of dentist you will want to be, right? And so you are both in Tamworth at the moment, and so I guess how was this job hunting process for you, and how did you find these clinics with you know such supportive, um, you know? mentors and dentists that have helped you with this transition because I'm sure like you know everyone hopes for this but everyone's experience is different so what led you guys to this particular experience um Anthony yeah look it's it was actually a really cool story for us and um there were definitely ups and downs during our final year trying to find the right job for us and I think Yasmin and I were in a very unique scenario because we were looking for two jobs or we were looking for jobs to fill two books as opposed to just the one person and we didn't want to be working really far away from each other so that was a bit of a unique experience but if we go back a little bit I actually had a mentor in Sydney who I met in the later years of high school and he's done so much for me over the years and the plan always was to work for him when I graduated he was such an incredible support system for myself and and Yasmin as well throughout high school myself I should say sorry and then dental school so The plan always was to work with him, but once COVID hit, um, you know, he did have quite a frank conversation with me and he had my best interests at heart. And he said, look, Anthony, I've got a chair here if you want to work, but there just isn't, isn't the work here for you. And I think as a new graduate, you want to be seeing as many patients as you can and you want to be doing as much work as you can. So the chair's here for you if you want it, but I do think you should look elsewhere. And there was sort of a light bulb moment because I felt as though the race had started for the job hunt and I was left behind because I thought that I had a position that, you know, I was relatively safe in. And what happened was we, I ended up spending a lot of time putting together a really nice resume and finding all these practices in Sydney that I wanted to work at. And they weren't necessarily practices that 
had job adverts out there, but they were appealing for different reasons. You know, some of them had incredible Google reviews and they emphasize on the patient experience. Others had emphasis on patient education, patient comfort, and staying up to date with technology and their interaction with social media. And these sorts of practices were very appealing to me at the time. And I reached out to a lot of these practices and some of them I even went in person, you know, I took a gift and I just showed a, a high level of interest. And what I'd realized was it just it just wasn't meant to be. I was, it wasn't the right time or place, particularly because a lot of these practices weren't looking for a graduate. And we were going through a pandemic. So there was a lot of uncertainty around can we hire and can we service a new graduate in our in our books? And a lot of the time I realized that the answer was no. And even though these practices didn't have an opportunity for me, they did something which I'm forever, you know, indebted to them. And they shared my resume. And because I was brave enough to put myself out there, they were brave enough to then put my resume and 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 recommend me to other places. And one of those places that actually my resume landed at was a practice in Tamworth. And I was Sydney born and raised, actually had never sort of been or heard much about Tamworth. I knew there was a country music festival, you know, big festival, but that's about it. And I ended up having a conversation with a dentist in Tamworth and they did say that there was an opportunity for two dentists. And that got me really excited because I was thinking to myself, it was looking like Yasmin and I might have to work two part-time jobs each in different parts of the city. We might have to live somewhere in the middle and, you know, spend all this time in traffic every day and see each other on Monday evening or something because we're working weekends. It just seemed to get a little bit convoluted. And I said, I thought to myself, this person in Tamworth has position for two dentists and that was very appealing. And we stayed in contact with this said dentist until sort of closer towards the end of semester two in our final year. And there weren't any really, um, you know, solid job offers for us in Sydney. And we decided to go to Tamworth to meet this said dentist. And because it's a five hour drive from Sydney, we wanted to make the most of our experience here. And we decided to apply and, and call out to a few different practices while we were here. And what stood out to us was there was actually an opportunity for Yasmin and I to work in neighboring practices, but work very closely together. And these two practices, which was actually separate to the one that we initial, that initially brought us to Tamworth, they approached all the negotiations for the job offer as a couple. And they recognized that Yasmin and I were coming in as a couple to Tamworth and they offered us very similar contracts, very similar well, the exact same days off and a very similar structure. And it almost seemed a little bit too good to be true because we were able to have different experiences, but also be in practices that were able to nurture our growth together and and use the, you know, the skill set of one practice to nurture one set of skills and use the other one to to nurture the other set of skills. And it almost seemed a little bit too good to be true for us. And we sort of left that experience thinking that this might be it. And of course, at the moment, it was very surreal. And we had a few sleepless nights thinking about, is this the right decision? But looking back on it now, I think we made the best decision for us as a couple and as new graduates. And I think this experience has been incredible for us. 
It really is when they talk about serendipity, right? Like all your, all this time you were looking and like convinced that you were going to stay in Sydney. You had a job lined up here. You were looking here. And then who'd have thought that your resume would land in, in Tamworth? And you didn't end up even, I guess, like working for that original practice. It ended up being another one that you just by chance decided to give it a shot and apply for, right? Um, it's a big decision to move rurally. And guess what were your thoughts? And what were your thoughts, I guess, Yasmin, being swept into all of this and the decision of just like, okay, not only are you staying in Australia now, but you're moving out to Whoop Whoop, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I will say that at the time when we were looking for jobs, I really wanted to move regionally because I kept thinking to myself, you know, the connections we've made in Sydney are there. They're going to be there forever, which is wonderful. But, you know, half of our class is moving back to Canada and, you know, everyone else is also dispersed around here. So again, for me, I felt... Um, a little bit isolated again. And so I figured what better time to kind of set roots wherever we want and um, pretty much touch on some of the things that Anthony mentioned. Because we had had that experience in Ballina before and we had talked about, you know, the, the benefits for us and also what we could, you know, provide a community in kind of a remote rural or regional area. We were really seriously thinking about it at the time, but I don't think that we actually didn't know Tamworth um, was an option. Um, So originally I was also looking for jobs that were slightly outside of Sydney that were close enough for Anthony and I to be able to, again, commute to from a communal location and things like that. But I didn't really want to stay in the city. Um, So it was a really good opportunity when we heard that, you know, we had a chance to work in similar, you know, locations, um, in a small town that was really community-based. Again, we keep talking about communities. And something that I think is important to mention is even though we didn't end up working with the um, original practice that brought us to Tamworth, working regionally means that everyone is kind of a team. We are still in contact with that practice. He is still, you know, a a mentor for us Mm -hmm. in dentistry. And we we speak on a regular basis about, you know, how to best manage particular cases and things like that. So I think that for us moving to a regional town, it wasn't a difficult choice. We just didn't know which regional town we were going to go to. And we're always hoping that we can, you know, hopefully contribute in some positive way as well, you know, in any town that we're in. So it, it's been ultimately really positive all around um, moving here to Tamworth. And it honestly sounds so nurturing. Like you say, it just sounds too good to be true that, you know, this opportunity lands in front and presents itself to you, just ticks all the boxes. But yeah, it just sounds like it's a nurturing and really supportive environment. And you keep, you know, we, we've mentioned multiple times, just like this ongoing mentorship, not only from both of your practices, but also even the the previous practice, that the original practice that brought you to Tamworth as well. Can you touch a little bit on, I guess, just the mentorship experience and just, Was it something that was on your radar and did that help and influence your decision to, I guess, choose the practice that you ultimately did? And what has it been like for you throughout this year? Yeah, look, I think I might start with that one, Erica. And I think it's a great question. I think there's a lot to unpack with it and everyone's sort of looking to understand what does mentorship look like and what sorts of things can I look for in a practice? And I think the first thing is everyone is looking for mentorship, every new graduate and One of the things that Yasmin and I thought to ourselves very early on is we didn't want to walk into a practice with a big sign saying we want mentorship because if you go into the right practice, you are going to get mentorship, but we didn't want to sort of turn people away thinking that, you know, this is all we're here for. We wanted to go to a place and we wanted to be able to contribute positively to that work environment and we wanted to be an asset to that practice. And it also makes you a little bit more appealing as a potential candidate. But with regards to mentorship, 
I think it looks different for everyone. And my relationship with that dentist all throughout uni was very much a, you know, a conversation style mentorship where we would talk about different scenarios and I would watch him work and stuff like that. But coming into our graduate roles, I wasn't really aware of what my mentorship style was going to look like. And they said to me that we offer a very fluid and very dynamic mentorship style to suit the individual because at the end of the day, everyone has different requirements. And I guess I can just speak based on my experience and hopefully that resonates with a few people out there, but I'm very much one of those people that would love to see something done by someone else. I'd love to stand there and watch it done. And then the next step would be, I'd love to have a go doing it with a mentor or boss in this scenario standing next to me and with a patient which understands the scenario that we're essentially doing something for the first time um, just because you're not essentially experimenting on them. And if you run into any difficulties, sort of you go 30% through the procedure, they're able to take over and the appointment finishes very smoothly and there are no hiccups. And then the next time you do it, you might get 60% of the way through and before you know it, you're doing most of the procedure. And for me, it it didn't take too long because I had such a such a fantastic mentor and boss and associates within the practice who are able to give me their time and energy with regards to my mentorship style. And once I got a little bit more independence, I was able to book patients on my own at the end of the day so that if there was any hiccup, I was able to call on someone and they were able to help me rather than it being middle of the day and throwing the appointment book out. And safe to say that for a lot of different procedures now, I'm comfortably booking patients throughout the middle of the day and um, I'm able to sort of have that independence and embark on my you know, dentistry knowing that I've got the full support of that team around me. So just for anyone out there looking for mentorship, I think it's important to sort of narrow down what is your style? What are you sort of looking for from a practice? And is the practice that you're looking at going to fulfill that? So for me, I love having three or four dentists around me and the hygienist that works in my practice works very closely with me because I'm always in her back pocket asking questions. And I think that's the sort of mentorship style I need. Someone who's around, someone who's able to show me how to do something for this first time, someone who's able to stand next to me while I'm able to do a procedure and, you know, carry on if I do come into difficulties. And ultimately someone who's able to be there while I run my appointment book in case there are any difficulties. So, my number one tip, find your mentorship style and see if your practice can deliver that for you because otherwise it's going to be a very, very challenging year. Was that something you then made known during the interview process when you were applying for that job? Because you do say there's a bit of a balance between not wanting to walk in holding a sign saying, I want mentorship, but yet at the same time, wanting to make sure you were going into a job that suited your mentorship style. How did you find that match then like what was there was there a conversation or was it something that you kind of sussed out during the interview or by observing yeah look it's a very good question I think a lot of it came down to my gut reaction based on the practice and when I met the people who work at the practice and did my walkthrough I was able to see that number one there are lots of dentists working there and as I said the hygienist so I knew that there was lots of support not just depending on one person the second, the second thing was my, the practice that I work at has such a wide scope of practice. So I knew that I was able to get mentorship in all these different areas, whether that be doing complex endo or all the way to surgical procedures. So that was already in the back of my mind that I was walking into a practice that 
had that wide scope practice. And then number three was being in a regional town, there's a high turnover of dentists. So my practice does go through a lot of new graduate dentists. So as I said earlier, this wasn't their first rodeo. They've been through this experience with lots of other dentists. And during the interview, I didn't really need to say much because they're the ones who sort of told me that the mentorship style was dynamic and fluid because everyone's going to be different. And I think my mentorship style is slightly different to all the other dentists that have come before. And I think any dentist that comes after me will be slightly different. So I did, I'd placed a lot of emphasis on being in a practice that had experience with new grads because they were able to guide me in the areas that I had no experience in. Like I didn't know what my exact mentorship style was going to be until I went to a few different practices and realized that, no, I don't think I want to be working with one person only, or I don't want to be working in a practice that refers all these procedures out. And it became a little bit more evident sort of through a gut reaction when I met with a practice. For sure. And how about you, Yasmin? Like what was the mentoring? Is your mentoring style similar or is it completely different? Mm, it's it's quite similar, I will say, because I feel like I'm the type of person who would like to see a procedure done first if it's something I'm unfamiliar with. And in that, op- uh, sorry, in that procedure, have the opportunity to ask questions or afterwards, things like that. And then similarly, you know, I'll give it a, give it a go. You know, I've, I've learned enough. We come again from an educated background. We, we know what we're doing. It's just when you get into the thick of it, can you manage complications and things like that? And then have a boss around in the building, you know, in the case that I am unable to proceed with whatever procedure it is, and then uh, ultimately get to a stage where you're comfortable enough to do it yourself. Um, at the same time, I should mention that my boss hired two new grads, you know, at the same time. So I'm working with another new graduate from my graduating class, which is wonderful, but we are also completely different um, dentists and have different learning styles. And so I know for her, if we were to ask her, she is definitely more comfortable, you know, trying the the procedure first, figuring out what works in her hands and what doesn't, and then coming out of it and asking questions after she's already given it a go. So I think for different people, it's different. And kind of like what Anthony mentioned, a lot of it is going to be your gut reaction to the practice. I think when you start interviewing at different places, you can kind of get a sense for it at that stage what um, they're willing to offer, what they're comfortable with as mentors. And again, as Anthony mentioned, it's probably important to look at the procedures that your practice is comfortable doing. So if, for example, they're referring out every upper molar endo, for example, then is that an opportunity for you to learn? Will there be someone there to help guide you through it if that's something that you want to do? Or implants, surgical procedures, wisdom teeth, all of the above. So having a good idea of what you're interested in and what you kind of want to learn at a practice as well will help. Because if a practice isn't offering those services, then perhaps it might be worth looking somewhere else. Um, And again, touching on what Anthony said as well, I agree that it's really important that if a practice has had the chance to mentor new graduates before, they probably have a good idea of what's required and systems in place to really help um, nurture a new graduate dentist. So, yeah. I think there's a lot to a lot to talk about with mentorship and just wanted to touch base one on one more thing, which was about, um, about CPD and being in a practice that's able to sort of teach you those areas that you're, you're you're seeking to gain further studies in. And one of the things that became quite evident early on was I had this huge list of CPD courses that I wanted to do coming out of uni. And when I first started uh, in my new job, I showed my boss all of these courses and we sort of went through each one and he told me why I shouldn't be spending thousands of dollars to do a single day course when 
you've got a mentor who's actually able to sit there chair side with you. And I think that's a very valuable thing that a lot of us didn't realize coming out of uni. And one of my friends broke mentors down into three different categories. At the most basic level, you've got someone who's going to sit there and talk to you about different treatment plans and talk about potential scenarios that may go to, may, may go on during the procedure. The second type of mentorship, which is a little bit higher up, is someone who's there to bail you out if things don't go according to plan. And we've all been there and they've all been there and we will continue to be in a situation like that. And the third mentor is at the top of the hierarchy is someone who's able to sit there chair side with you, hold the suction and show you how to do a procedure. And I was fortunate enough to be in a practice where I've got three or four of those people around who can sit there chair side and show me how to do something. And there's so much more you can gain from a 30 or 40 minute appointment with someone doing that with you than you can from a weekend course learning on in, in a, in a simulation environment. And that is a, that is a huge aspect of mentorship that I think is underrated and not really spoken about. So just a big tip to everyone out there, when you are embarking on your graduate roles, definitely have that conversation about, is it possible for someone to be there standing next to me while I have a go and make it a very safe environment for the patient and able to take over if things don't go according to plan? I like that you mentioned that because I actually feel like it was just a few days ago. I was, you know, scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through the dental forums, and I saw someone ask pretty much this exact same question where they were saying, oh, what are the best CPD courses for a new grad to do? And everyone's going through the comments and everyone's like, oh, you got to do this person's course. You got to do that person's course. And there was this one person that said the best course or the best like, you know, CPD you can do is within your practice and it is, you know, with your mentor, with your principal dentist, with your boss and them teaching you and guiding you and there is nothing superior to that. Exactly like what you were saying, Anthony, about how you can go to a CPD course and learn things hands-on, on simulation, on whatever it is, but nothing beats, I guess, having someone next to you as you're seeing your patient. I guess it's pretty much just like, you know, what it is like in dent school, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think particularly as a new graduate, when you're trying to get as much experience in all these different areas, it's just not feasible to be doing thousands of dollars of courses in endo and restorative and pros and surgical and just just doesn't make sense. But I think the further you progress through your career and you start to hone in on those areas you want to upskill in, that's when your more expensive CPD comes into place because there's definitely a place for it and recognizing an interest in furthering your education and becoming a safe practitioner. But I think as a new graduate, the best CPD you can do is definitely within a practice who has a wide scope of practice with mentors who are able to stand their chair side with you and show you how to do things and discuss cases. And, you know, it really sets you to on the right foot for your, um, for your new graduate journey. Something I really wanted to ask, and I asked it to you, Yasmin, but I'm still in the position where, you know, when I don't know what is going on, I put I put up my hand and I cry out for my tutor to please come save me, right? Um, but it's okay as a student. I feel like you get away with it because, you know, the patients know that you guys are still students and you're still learning and they're absolute angels and so understanding, right? But I guess... When you've graduated and you're a dentist and you're meant to be competent, you can't, you know, raise your hand and cry out to the tutor in the same way, right? So how do you go about, I guess, you know, you both touched on, you know, trying new procedures and you know, getting 30% of the way and then needing a little bit of assistance or getting 60% of the way or needing a bit of assistance or I guess just like, you know, 
to, to say it in another way, needing someone to bail you out, right? How do you go about managing that situation but still instilling trust within your patient that, you know, you are still here looking them out, you are still competent, but you need just a, a second pair of, you know, eyes or hands to help you out? Like how do you go about managing that kind of situation? Yeah, there's actually a few layers to it and you've touched upon a lot of it. Um, even the words I might get a second set of eyes to take a look at this. That's something that I'll come back to, but it is a really valuable phrase. I think first and foremost, just remembering that you are competent and usually what you're thinking is along the right path, even though it takes us a little bit longer to diagnose and be confident in our decision with that. So when the patient comes into the room with a problem, building that rapport instills that confidence in them because you do know what you're talking about um, at you know a, a foundational level. If you're in something like an emergency situation or an acute care situation, oftentimes, um, at least for us, even when we started out, if you are unsure, I know at my practice, one of the policies that we have, you know, for new graduates is take your x-ray, tell your patient you're going to step out of the room just to take a look at it. And when you step out, you can either send a message to your boss if they're you know open to this or just pop into their room and say, hey, there's an x-ray I'd just love you know to talk to you about before I go back into the room. And oftentimes, and again, I, I will say I'm probably very lucky that my boss is able to do this. They will you know put aside what they're doing or finish up what they're doing. Come out, take a look at that x-ray, quickly chat with you about you know whether you're on the right track or not. And then you go back into the room and go from there. Another part of it is if you feel like it's a procedure that you're not comfortable with or it's something that you haven't done that many times, when you're outlining you know, all the benefits, pros and cons of a procedure to your patient, sometimes um, you can mention something along the lines of, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a, a lengthier procedure or maybe a more complicated procedure. And if we reach a stage that um, for whatever reason, we need a second set of eyes. I hope it's all right with you. Or if you're okay with it, I will ask another dentist to come into the room. Otherwise, you go cross-eyed, you know, staring at the same thing for um, a lengthy period of time. And a lot of the time, patients do understand. And I think that part of it is they are happier knowing that you are doing the best by them. And when you reach your upper limit, there is somebody there who is going to help them out. You're not going to, you know, cause trouble because you're, you're being overcompetent or overconfident, sorry. So I, I think that it's easier managed than what most people would expect when you start working. Um, and again, trust in the process. You, you are competent. You do know what you're doing. And even if you just need a few times somebody reassuring you that that is the right call, um, that's, that's really all it takes. And I think a lot of it comes in just like the way you present yourself, reminding yourself in like carrying that confidence and I like what you say about just at the end of it it might be a tricky procedure but you do have that foundational knowledge and you know going back to first principles you at least can have the very basics of it right um what about you Anthony have you got any other like thoughts or tips on you know special phrases or ways that you can go about managing that kind of situation yeah I think Yasmin you know covered most of it and I think Erica this is such a really cool question because a lot of us are wondering you know how do we get help in private practice when patients are paying money for you to do something for them and, you know, you're not able to do it and you actually have to get help? And it's something that actually comes a lot more natural to you than you think. And number one, I think it's really important to recognize what your scope of practice is. What are you comfortable doing and what are you not comfortable doing? I mean, you don't want to go into, you know, a complex surgical wisdom tooth on day one and then it go to mess. You know, you need to sort of think what are you comfortable doing and what are you not comfortable doing and that should dictate most of your treatments and you know 
I definitely use the x-ray trick a lot. And even though I've got the computer right behind the patient and I've got Remexis on the computer there, it may even be up. I say, I'm just going to have a quick look at this x-ray. Do you mind if you give me a moment? And I close the door on my way out. I may go to the room right next door and they might even hear the door open, but you know, it's not the sort of thing that they're attuned to. And it actually brings you a lot of relief just to, even though you may know exactly what to do, just to say, hey, this is what I've got going on. This is the x-ray. This is what I think is going on. This is what I propose to do. What are your thoughts? And, you know, obviously your associates and the boss may be in the middle of a procedure, so they can't give you a 20-minute response. And they'll just say, I agree with what you're doing, or do you mind checking this? Or what are your thoughts about this? And often that's enough just to push you along. So that comes down to more of the diagnosing and getting through that appointment. But when it comes to more actually delivering the treatment, what I often do is categorize you know, bailouts as a planned bailout or an unplanned bailout. And you want most of those bailouts to be in the planned stage. You don't really want many in the unplanned stage because that's when you start to lose rapport and that's when you start to lose patients, at least from what I've experienced. And thankfully, I haven't had too many of them, but, you know, everyone does and that's completely fine. So what I'll do is when I first started and I was embarking on a tricky and I'm using extractions a lot because we do a lot of surgical dentistry at our practice. But first thing I would say is, this is a bit of a complex procedure. Um, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we might need to cut the tooth and whatever you say. And you say, if we're having any trouble, my boss is just next door. He basically just looks at teeth and they come out, you know, he's really old <laughs> and just make a bit of a laugh out of it. And they laugh, but they also recognize that, you know, if things aren't going to plan, there's going to be someone. So if I bring someone in, then it's sort of expected. But if I don't bring someone in, then they're really happy. There, you know, you did a great job. And even if it takes you a little bit longer and you seem calm under pressure, and this is where my sort of pizza skills come into it, you know, I remain calm under pressure and I'm able not to sort of shed a sweat if things aren't going to plan and understand when I'm out of my depths, you know. One of the other tricks that I think I learned at this practice, which I think is super valuable and I would recommend a lot of people out there is let's say you've got a 30-minute appointment in the middle of the day and it's, it's going to be an extraction and you know it's going to be very complex and it might go surgical. I've got no problem bringing the patient back at the end of the day, even if it's not that same day. I use the phrase a lot, you know, this is going to be a bit of a tricky one. Do you mind if we bring you back at the end of the day just so we're not rushed with patients because, you know, we've got people in the waiting room and I want to give you all the time that you deserve. And they love hearing that because they know you're going to put them first. And when you bring them back at the end of the day, your boss is available or someone is free because they're going to finish up with their patient. So before you start the procedure, you say, if we're having any trouble, you know, someone's just, my boss is next door, you know, he's going to look at this too that's going to pop out if we're having any trouble. But the main thing is they're available. You don't want to get into a bit of a mess and then they've got to come in mid-patient, you know, when they've just etched a tooth and it's going to get contaminated and throw the whole appointment book out. No one gets lunch. Not a fun day for anyone. So you want to have planned bailouts. You want to bring patients back at the end of the day if your boss is willing. And it's totally okay to step out of the room and just ask people what's going on. I guess, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of value in being able, and I guess it's a skill as well, right? But to be able to preempt situations and assessing it and realizing, yeah, is this something I can do right now? Or is it something that I need potentially need more help with or potentially something that's going to take longer than planned? Have there been many situations of these unplanned bailouts that, you know, perhaps earlier on, you know, throughout the year or any sticky situations that you guys can think of in particular and any reflections or lessons you've learned from it? 
Yasmin, you seem to be thinking. (laughs) (laughs) A few cases definitely just passed through my mind. And I think for me, those um, unplanned bailouts, I guess I should probably touch upon a few other things. This year, my my boss was pregnant and um, she went on maternity leave, which is, you know, absolutely necessary and so important. But then that left me in a little, you know, pickle in the sense of, okay, do I embark on some complicated things knowing that if I need my boss, she has to drive from her house and come here, maybe with baby, maybe she's in labor, you know, you just don't know. Um, And so that for me was a a big kind of a, a time where I did a lot of learning where I I have to admit, you know, there were some cases that I went into thinking I had the entire plan and everything was going to go correctly, but things don't always do that. And so you do your best again, as we mentioned before, with that foundational knowledge that you do have and you make it work and it's going to be fine ultimately for the patient, but it could take longer to get there. You might have to get a little bit creative. You're probably going to sweat a little bit, um, but ultimately you do reach that point. Um, So yes, I mean, I don't think any of us can say we have haven't been in that situation where y- you need a little bit of guidance, you need somebody there, um, and you learn a lot of really important lessons from there. Sometimes they are the best lessons, and sometimes it, that's exactly what you need. Um, you know, have a really difficult situation where you really have to make your brain work, and then after you walk away, we've said this. <laughs> for each other before but you just you level up you get better and then you know exactly what to do next time Um, but as long as again you kind of have that support system so that you're not carrying that stress home with you of you know did I do the right thing for that patient did I should I have done it another way as long as you have somebody to talk to and hopefully it is a mentor but it could be a friend or a colleague or you know anybody um, I think that's where most of the learning occurs and that's how people grow and yeah just kind of go with the process and, and yeah, you'll, you'll develop all the skills that you need with time. Yeah. That's what they say. Like we learn most when we're challenged or when we're put in the sticky situations, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So what are your plans now? Like the two of you, I guess, you know, first year out, we're heading into second year out now. What are your plans in terms of like upskilling? And you've mentioned a lot, you know, wanting to learn through your mentors and in your practice, but have you guys got plans like beyond that in terms of like, you know, CPD journeys or like what is the plan going forward and where do you guys see yourself, you know, heading in the next few years? Yeah, look, it's, you know, it's been a really wild first year out and with COVID there, we just never really know what's around the corner, but we're both very much still on the exponential growth for our clinical dentistry. So I'm going to ride that way for as long as possible and just soak up as much as I can and upskill and learn and really same approach as we had at dental school, just squeeze as much out of it as we can and give our all. But, you know, on the side, Yasmin and I, we, we're trying to get involved in the community in Tamworth. We, this year has been a little bit difficult just with all the restrictions and stuff like that, but we're definitely wanting to make our mark and give back to the community and do as much as we can. And, you know, even in the realm of dentistry, we're both still heavily involved with the ADA, at least at the state level, um, which is really exciting. And so we're, we're sort of just playing it by ear because we don't really know what's around the corner. And I think this year was a great year for Yasmin and I just to sort of focus on ourselves and focus on our journey and focus on that new graduate experience because, For the last four years, we've been so tied up doing all these extracurriculars that we haven't really had time to just enjoy it and take it easy. 
Yeah, definitely. And you, you alluded to it just then, but you guys are both part of the ADA New South Wales Recent Grad Committee. Is that correct? I'll touch upon that. Actually, Anthony is part of the Recent Graduate Committee. I'm, I'm on a different committee, the Advocacy Committee, which I've only recently you know, had the honor of joining. We are happy to be able to be involved and try to provide a kind of a new grad um, perspective to to the ADA New South Wales and, and go from there. Well, I'm excited to see what you guys get up to and hearing all about it, Yasmin. <laughs> How about you, Anthony, with the whole recent grad committee? And what is it? About, why don't you tell us a little bit like what it's about and, you know, what's the purpose of it and what your part in it is? Yes. Yeah, so I actually joined the recent graduate committee last year when I was starting my term as president on SUDA because there's a position reserved for your student representatives, both from Orange like Charles Sturt University and the University of Sydney. So my initial contributions last year were more about just representing the students and the incoming graduates and what we wanted to see and what were the struggles and how could the how could the committee and and the association as a whole support us. You know, what was really exciting last year, I got to meet with the state president, which was Kathleen Matthews at the time, and she really wanted to understand what was it, what what were we going through as students and how could they better support that, which was so exciting to me to think that there's a whole association out there designed to help us get through this and 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 is you know ultimately here for us and this year serving my second term on the committee it's I'm more of you know I'm that recent graduate I'm that new graduate and you know for those that don't know that the purpose of the recent grads committee is ultimately to ease that transition into graduate life because it is daunting for everyone and you know it's not it's not a very easy experience at times and you need a bit of support. So one of the things we're actually working on at the moment, which is really exciting is about this new grad CPD program that we're trying to sort of, you know, enhance and supplement the clinical experiences that the graduating class want and they want to do in their first year out, which is really exciting. But all in all, it's been such a really, you know, it's been an incredible journey to go through and, as Yasmin alluded to, you know, being in a regional centre, you know, we do, you know, we do miss, you know, that social interaction and interacting with like-minded people. And there are plenty of people out there in Tamworth, but there's just, you know, a, le- a limited number and you can't see the same people every day. So it's really great to interact and network with other people who are going through the same, you know, sort of journey. And a lot of the people on the recent grads committee are actually regional practitioners, which is really cool. So um, we're all able to talk about our experiences and what we want to see for the recent grads and, and for the new grads coming through. And yeah, it's been great. That's really great to hear. And I want to say thank you. I thank you to like the both of you. And I'm just like, this entire conversation is just constantly, I feel like a, the recurring theme was just, you know, building a community, being in it all together and, you know, throughout your time, throughout like dense school, being a part of SUDA and now even graduating and being part of the ADA. I don't know. I think that's something I really respect and I'm grateful. And I think we're lucky as like, you know, the industry to have people like you that are really, you know, all about nurturing and fostering and creating this really nice environment. So it's really great to hear. I'm excited to see, you know, what other things you guys come up with. Thank you, Erica. <laughs> I wanted to end, I guess, you know, wrap up the podcast, um, but with a question that, you know, David always likes to ask all of his guests, but it's if you could teach every, you know, graduating dentist that's listening to the show, everyone that you know, if there's one piece of advice, I'll ask it to you guys individually so you can both, you know, have your own um, little golden nugget to share. But, you know, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to them now, I guess, 
having been through what you have thus far. Yasmin, do you want to? I just, I feel like I have so many little things that I would love to just run back and be like, do it this way or you know, <laughs> do this. <laughs> I'll say two things. One, trust yourself and, you know, stick to your roots. You know, don't forget your hobbies. Don't forget the things you like to do outside of dentistry because dentistry is one aspect of you and who you are as a person, but it's not the only characteristic that you, you know, bring to the world. Um, so I think it's really important because we sometimes lose ourselves in dental school because it really is all consuming. Um, and I know when thing I struggled with was when we didn't have anything to do after work, I I had no idea what to do with myself. I really had to go (laughs) back to basics. Um, So yeah, one thing would be definitely to to remember who you are and um, kind of bring that forward because also your patients see that and you can relate to people better that way and things like that. And a part of that is also, as I've probably mentioned a few times, trust yourself and trust the process. You will come out a competent dentist. You have your whole life ahead of you. You have your whole career ahead of you. There's so many doors that are about to open and it's a really exciting time. So just the entire time, trust yourself, trust your gut, go down the path that makes the most sense to you. And even if it's not the conventional one, that's fine. And yeah, enjoy the ride. Run with what you have. How about you, Anthony? What are you thinking? You've got a smile. (laughs) Look, Erica, if if there was one thing I was going to say, it would be basically how I started this podcast is (laughs) next time, you know, someone doesn't get your pizza order right or your delivery is a little bit late, (laughs) just take it easy on them because you don't know who's on the other end. And next time you reject someone from dental school or you turn down someone who's applying for a job, just you never know who's standing in front of you and you don't know what sort of drive that's going to give someone. So embrace everyone with open arms and give everyone an opportunity, give everyone a chance because I think I'm, you know, living proof of someone who was sort of turned down and made the most of it and really proved myself. And I still carry that chip on my shoulder to this day and it is a large driving force for me. So just embrace everyone and give everyone a chance is what I would say. I love that. I love that. That's what you guys are both about. And just throughout the talk, are just constant reminders of this drive and just, you know, embracing everything and seizing every moment and appreciating it. Thank you so much, Jasmine and Anthony, for joining me on this conversation. I feel like we so much, so much goodness from this talk. Thank you, Erica. Thank you for having us. Honestly, it was a pleasure. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional, and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. 
And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentaledstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.